Welcome into ABQ Connect. We appreciate you being here with us. And uh, we are all kind of reeling, frankly, from the issues that have happened uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the killing of George Floyd. It's affecting communities all over the country and actually around the world. I'm hearing in other countries they're having demonstrations. Pastor Jesse Lusco is in studio with me today. Jesse is the pastor of Calvary Westside in Albuquerque. And we ran a, uh, into each other yesterday in the, in, in the uh, on the mall out here yeah. on the campus of Calvary. And Jesse, you were really visibly upset about what's happening. And, uh, you know, I need to start by saying, you know, you're a white pastor. Yeah. Uh, and I made you aware that yesterday we had, uh, David Cooper, Bishop of New Hopeful Gospel Baptist Church on the program along with Ron Wallace. Ron is a longtime friend of mine. He is the publisher of Perspective Magazine in Albuquerque, which is a publication that's designed to talk about the successes and the, and encourage the black community. So both of these gentlemen are Christian leaders and they both understand racism far beyond what we do. So it was just a God thing that we ran into each other, Jesse, and, and, you know, this this isn't a crazy tragedy. Tell me your thoughts about it. Yeah, so my initial thoughts is that um, I think absolutely unequivocally everybody um, in the country, you know, needs to be willing to condemn um, the actions of of those four officers. You know, I, I think I think um, everything in the scripture just talks about the image of God. You know, I listened to a phenomenal sermon by. Uh, a black pastor from Chicago, Charlie Dates, amazing guy, like evangelical, believes the Bible from cover to cover, amazing pastor. And Charlie Dates was just saying that, you know, he, he gave this phenomenal sermon saying that, hey, hey, who breathed the breath of God in, into Adam? Mm. You know, that that's how we were created. Breath was put into Adam and Adam became a living being. And to watch this nine minute clip of, of, of a man saying, I can't breathe. Oh, heartbreak. That, that, that is the breath of God that's in that man that, that's, that's being denied him. And, and every human life is, 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 uh, infinitely valuable because we're made in the image of God. And so I believe every Christian, you know, it's so easy for these things to just for us to fall into our partisan categories and, and, you know, let that shape our thinking. But we need to let the scripture shape our thinking. And and the reality is that was a man made in God's image who was ruthlessly murdered um, as people were around pleading, begging. Not only was the man on the ground pleading for his life, but people around were pleading for, for mercy for this man. And, and um, so I, th- I think, you know, just unequivocally, hands down, we need to we need to condemn those particular actions. But kind of broader from there, um, I think of the verse in James because things are so contentious in our culture. There's there's so much division, so much animosity. Um, James was writing to a church that had a lot of uh, division and carnality and honestly uh, economic injustice. He talks a ton about the the rich oppressing the poor and 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 he talks about how. Uh, faith without works is dead, and that if we see someone in need, we don't meet their needs. So he, he was writing into a, a church easily as divided as ours. And I, and I love what James says in chapter 1. He, he just says, uh, Let every man be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And 
Uh, I think that as a white man, I have a responsibility to listen to black people um, in my life, friends, to, to seek out black pastors who love Jesus, who love the word of God and listen to them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and not be so quick just to come at it from our experience and, and from, um, you know, our own perspectives and our own maybe partisan thinking, but, but to come and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be, um, quick to listen and I'm going to listen to, and, and I love you and I respect you so much for, for having a uh, Bishop Cooper on yesterday and, and, and I just think that is so significant to listen to our our, our, black, our black brothers and sisters before, you know, we start coming in and, and saying our own opinions. Well, you know, I feel kind of silly sometimes asking questions. Yeah. Uh, particularly of people that have had an experience that is completely different than mine. For example, yeah. I asked Bishop Cooper, I said, tell us how racism, um, have you have you been affected by racism in your life? Mm-hmm. Well, his answer, and of course he was very gracious, he said, Jim, I have to tell you that there's not a day I haven't been affected by racism. In my yeah. Life. Well, that yeah. wasn't my perspective. I wasn't expecting Expecting that, that kind of answer, yeah. You know, that is yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. And, uh, and Ron Wallace, who joined him, Ron is a, we were both athletes at the University of New Mexico. Uh, I pointed out to Ron, to my joy, that he's a little older than I am, but mm-hmm. uh, he was an, a football player. Mm-hmm. And... Football really helped to save him um, during the time of segregation where blacks were being bussed in Dallas, Texas to white schools. And they were just doing all this goofy stuff that really hurt. They divided up families. They divided up friends. They they took away, I guess, any kind of safety net that a lot of the black students had. Yeah. But Ron described how football and his teammates uh, of all ethnicities help to protect him. Yeah. That was really something that God used to protect him. But that's not something that's available to everyone. To everyone, yeah. And then to be a black man. Or at all times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, uh, he was talking of uh, Bishop Cooper or, or Ron, I can't remember which one, but they were talking about, you know, when a white dad has a 15 or 16-year-old son that's going to go out and have some fun with their friends, white people are not really worried too much. Yeah. I mean, there's always bad things that can yeah. happen. So all of us are concerned about our kids and we want some accountability and we want them home by a certain time. But he said, black parents sometimes have to worry about their kids coming home alive. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's a reality, you know, and I just want to say that for me, I'll just speak from my own experience. I'm going to speak just from, you know, kind of as, as a, as a guy who grew up in the United States, and then also as a Christian, um, the way my views have have developed and and uh, you know I've kind of come to the perspective that I currently hold um, is just that I think it was easy for me growing up to almost have this perspective like, oh, that was a problem back then, you know, the Civil War, like, oh yeah, that was horrible, and and slavery and Abraham Lincoln, yada yada yada. Oh yeah, and then and then you know what happened. In the 1960s was was bad, but that's all over. That's all done with. That's past. But but just looking at it historically, and then and then looking at my own life, and, and like looking around, and be like, what? I've I, I've never you know done anything overtly racist. And 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 you're so right. You know, I think about the mischief that I got into climbing buildings and 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 doing these different things. But but um, I think 
when you know the history of the United States and you really take time to think about it, that 56 years ago in your lifetime, you know, segregate in my dad's lifetime, um, it was legal in this country to to discriminate and and marginalize and demean and treat people like they were inferior and and you know and there was lynchings going on and there was there was uh police sicking dogs on people who are just asking to be treated as human beings just asking to be treated like they're made in God's image and and police sanctioned violence and spraying fire hoses at at ch- at black children who are marching peacefully in the streets you know that happened 56 years ago the, the reality that I want to just I've been trying to put in front of people's eyes. It's just this simple truth that all the people who weren't just in the South, you know, there were people in the North all Mm. all throughout the country who supported segregation and who were opposed to the Civil Rights Act. When LBJ signed that piece of paper, those people's warped views didn't change. Mm. The fact that one man in the Oval Office signed a piece of paper, think about you know, a, a, a political thing that happened in your life that you disagreed with. Your views didn't change just because the president did something. You actually just got mad. And, and what I think happened to those millions and millions of Americans who held evil, unbiblical views of inferiority and, and, and supremacy and those kinds of things, they just became more covert with their views, you know, and, and some of them, uh, owned businesses and, and were, and were mayors and city council members and police officers. And they hated Martin Luther King Jr. And they hated LBJ and they hated the Civil Rights Act. And that has affected, you know, and they pass those views into their children. And that is a, a, a so the point is, is to say um, the fact that the president signed a, a piece of legislation 50 years ago didn't make racism disappear. And I think we're seeing that in these these shootings and, and mass incarceration and, and, and a lot of different things. And, and without being too long-winded, the other thing that I think is just hugely significant, so that was kind of me speaking as an American and as a student of history, but now I just want to speak as my experience as, as a pastor, is that um, it's so easy to be kind of selective in our reading of Scripture, right? And, and to see the things that are relevant to us, right? That's the big thing. Oh, that's not relevant to me. Well, when in my reading of the scripture, just in, I'm just talking about my own personal devotional time growing up as a Christian. It was so easy for me to underline the verses about grace, right? Or the verses about, uh, you know, Jesus dying on the cross for us or God's love or, or verses about sexual purity. Why? Because I related with that, right? I'm like a teenager. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. sexual purity. That's a big deal, right? Underline that verse. And then I even kind of remember, you know, reading through the prophets and just, Feeling like sex, sections of it were so boring and not applicable, and 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 I would say this, Jim, you could probably quote uh, as I start saying it. You could probably quote it with me, Isaiah one eighteen, right? Mm-hmm. Come now, let us reason together. Though our sins are red like scarlet, they shall be as snow. Although they're red like crimson, they will be as wool. You know, we we could quote that, mm. but I think for many of us, we cannot quote the verse that immediately precedes it in Isaiah. Which is Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we just skip over those passages. We're like, oh, oppression doesn't matter. That doesn't exist. 
But if you were growing up in Burma or you're growing up in Saudi Arabia or if you were a black person living under slavery and, and you were, uh, or, or even a black person today reading the Bible, different verses are going to be the ones jumping out at you. And, and that's not an isolated verse in Isaiah. That is a theme that runs from, from Genesis to Revelation, the theme that, that God is opposed to oppression and he's always on the side of the weak mm. and he's always on the side of the poor and he's always on the side of the victims. And, um, so that was just something I, I became aware of that as a white guy growing up in America, I, I read the Bible in a very selective way. And in the, in the past five or six years, partly to, due to following black pastors and their ministries, uh, I've become more aware of this other huge side of scripture that is so massive and so significant. I mean, I could, I could read you a hundred verses right now that I have on my phone that say the same thing as Isaiah 117. Well, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the biblical perspective. Jesse Lusco, the pastor of Calvary Chapel Church. Calvary Church, I guess we took out the chapel. Yeah. I yeah. date myself. <laughs> hey, but, uh, Calvary well, Church. Well, you got a long side. history here. You got long roots. I, so. You're just calling me old. Oh, that's no. code word for old, Jesse. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back. Jesse Lusco with us. Stay with us. Pastor Jesse Lusco in studio with us this afternoon on ABQ Connect. And we're continuing to talk about race relations. Of course, if you're watching the news at all, we have uh, at the forefront of our minds, George Floyd, who was murdered really senselessly. Uh, and it looks like four police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota are really responsible uh, some charges have been filed against the gentleman that was kneeling on his neck, but uh, there are demonstrations now around the world in reaction to this, and it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Yesterday, we were fortunate to have on the program Bishop David Cooper. He is uh, Bishop of New Hope uh, Full Gospel Baptist Church in Albuquerque, longtime leader of Christian leader of black and and whites and and all people in our communities. He's a neat Christian man. And then my friend Ron Wallace, who uh, is kind of grown up since college in, in this city and is very involved with trying to encourage people. The name of his company is Uplifted, and they publish a magazine called uh, Perspective. And it's all about, you know, talking about the accomplishments and the positive things uh, around the black community and people that are successful. And they were on the program and. I will say this. I think both of those men, I don't know Bishop Cooper real well, other than I've known him for, oh, probably two months now and talking with him on the phone. I've never met him personally, but I've known Ron for 40 years Mm -hmm. and I know his heart. Yeah. And he knows a lot about me because he even worked for the city of Albuquerque, knows my father well. They work together at the city. So, you know, he has a lot of background about me, I'm sure, that I don't even know about. But what I was going to say is I asked both of them if they had seen God change the hearts of people that they feel, felt were racist. And they were actually a little hesitant. They have no doubt that God changes hearts. Absolutely no doubt. But I think reading between the lines, what I heard from them, Jesse, is that they extend forgiveness one moment to somebody that says a racist remark or does something silly mm-hmm. uh, in the name of oppression yeah and they are able to forgive that but then it happens again and then it happens again and then it happens again and i have to imagine that they just get worn down yeah Yeah. and they and they need a miracle they need if if the death uh of of george floyd is to have an impact 
in this community and for this not to happen again. I want to ask you more, Jesse, about the biblical perspective on, on oppression and racism. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to bring up to us some idea that you might have about how we can keep this at the forefront of our minds, yeah. particularly people that are not of color. Yeah. So that we change our behavior, change yeah. the, change our hearts. How do we do that? Yeah. Well, I think it's just so critical and so, um, significant to realize that the whole reason we believe racism is wrong in the United States is because of Christianity. And Martin Luther King, you know, pointed this out. He, 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 he didn't come and say to the, the, white pastors in Birmingham or in the South, oh, you need to become more secular, you need to become more left, you need to get with the times and become more liberal. No, that is the opposite of what he said. Actually, I'll just read you a quote that um, Martin Luther King Jr. says. He says, America, um, how often have you taken the necessities from the masses to give them the luxuries of the classes? If you are to be a truly Christian nation, you must solve this problem. You cannot solve this problem by turning to communism for communism is based on ethical relativism and uh, the metaphysical materialism. That's atheism that no Christian can accept at the center of the Christian faith is the affirmation that there's a God in the universe who's the ground and essence, the being of infinite love and boundless power. God is the creator, sustainer, conserver of value in contrast with the ethical system of relativism. Christianity instead sets forth a system of absolute moral values and affirms that God has placed within the very structure of the universe moral principles that are fixed and immutable. And he says, he says, um, man is not whirling electrons or a wisp of smoke from the limitless smoldering. Man is a child of God and he must be respected as such. And he actually said that that atheism and liberalism and relativism was undermining the case of of uh, of the civil rights movement. And he writes in a letter from Birmingham jail that the only way to tell whether a law is just or unjust is to compare it with the law of God. How, how do you decide whether, you know, Hitler's law is just or unjust or Stalin's law is just or unjust? If there's, if there's no God, you can't compare it with anything. But Martin Luther King Jr. says you must compare it with the law of God. He said that the Imago Dei was what moved, uh, even though they, they weren't always consistent with it, the founders to write in our Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal and are endowed by the Creator for certain inalienable rights. So anyways, I just want to say that the idea that racism is evil is not a, it's not a leftist idea or, or a modern idea or a liberal idea. It comes from the scripture. And, and it's, it's really at the heart of Christianity in, in that all the stuff that some of us think is boring about Jew and Gentile and, uh, you know, clean and unclean that we read in the book of Acts or we read in Galatians, all of these things, man, that speaks to our time. That speaks to the death of George Floyd, the, the Jew and Gentile debate that, that's such a huge part. That speaks to our day and age. And what's Paul's conclusion based on the gospel? He says that in Christ, there's neither barbarian nor Scythian, slave nor free, male nor female. You are one in Christ, he says in Galatians and in Colossians. And, and so the very heart of our faith and what was so spectacular as the gospel burst forth into the Roman Empire is that 
It said that, that, that slaves were equal. It said that, um, poor people were equal, that women were equal. There, there were women leaders in the church. There were slaves who became pastors in the church. And, and, uh, it's not just a peripheral issue in the Bible. It, it's, it's the center of, of the scripture that we need to love our brother. You know, John says, you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother. How can you love God who you haven't seen when you don't even love your brother who you can see? Mm. You know, and, and, and so, um, uh, the idea of racism being evil isn't a peripheral issue. It's not a modern issue. It's not a liberal issue. It, it, it's, it's, it's a gospel issue. Jesse, if I was going to observe just what's happened over the last two or three years, yeah. I can't remember uh, even the details of Ahmad Aubrey, who was killed wow. by, or Arbery, I believe is how yeah. you say his name. You know, he was murdered by two a, citizens, two citizens yeah. that chased him down. And then the guy that filmed the whole thing got a, got charged yeah. because he didn't do anything to protect Ahmad. But yeah. it's almost like we've almost forgotten that incident. Yeah. Uh, did you, hear, that, did George, you hear about Brianna Taylor? No. I think that's really important too, is, is, Brianna Taylor was a uh, a medical worker. She was uh, EMT, I believe, and um, they were the police were conducting. You know, they're trying to catch some uh, some drug dealers in a drug ring, and they conducted a no knock raid on her apartment. They didn't even knock mm-hmm. because there was suspicion that she somehow was tied up with a drug dealer who lived ten miles away. And the police didn't even knock on her door. They came in, and her her boyfriend thought that um uh. You know, it could be a robber or anything. He, 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 he had a legal firearm and, you know, he thought they were being robbed. So he, he discharged his firearm and they shot Brianna Taylor eight times. The police did, mm. didn't, didn't announce that they were police officers. They had, they had, you know, no idea. And it turns out she had nothing to do with, with the drug dealing or anything, but just this woman killed in her bedroom at night as, you know, police officers came through the door. And, and so, um, I just think, yeah, what were you going to say? I cut you off. Well, but. when when you look at even the story you just described, yeah. you're reinforcing my point that yeah. most people that are not of color yeah. don't even remember these stories out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And so one of the things we're going to address later in the show today is how we can keep this at the forefront. Because I, I promise you that if I were to ask the black leadership in our community about that story. They know it, they like would the know back it by of heart. Hands. Yeah. They, they, they know every incident. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's them that's being injured every time something happens yeah. to a person of color. Yeah. There's a lot of synergies, Jesse, between the Jewish community. Um, the Jews were held in slavery for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. And they kind of understand, uh, maybe, more than we ever would about about slavery yeah. and about oppression and, and how and and yet that's described as you just said by Paul the apostle throughout the New Testament. Yeah, uh, oppression has always been present. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bishop, yeah. Bishop Cooper said yesterday. He said that racism cannot occur unless the person doing it has power. Yeah. Yeah. And that racism is about power. Yeah. I think that, I think that, you know, really lines up with scripture. And, and just, just to make a point, I'm just going to read you a few verses because I was talking about how we can be so selective in our reading of scripture. And I don't think intentionally, we just, 
the things jump off the page that we relate with. But I think it's important to keep reading the Bible, keep reading the Bible, keep reading the Bible and, until we start to, instead of viewing the world through the lens of our own experience, start viewing the world biblically and start and start, you know, believing it every verse cover to cover. But I'll just read you a few verses to show how significant this is. You know, Job says, I rescued the poor who cried out for help. I went to the fatherless. I went to those who had none to assist them. He says, I broke the fangs of the wicked and I rescued the oppressed from their teeth. Uh, Psalms 103 says, the Lord works righteousness and does justice for all who are oppressed. Uh, Psalm 146, 7 says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. Uh, Proverbs 3.34, the Lord mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Uh, all throughout the book of Proverbs, it says, um, Proverbs 21.13, whoever shuts their ears to the cries of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Uh, Proverbs 29.8, the righteous care about the rights of the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Uh, you know, we talk about being a Proverbs 31 woman. Mm-hmm. You ever hear about being a Proverbs 31 woman? Yes. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Man, I want to be a Proverbs 31 man. Yes. Amen. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I could, I could go on and on and on. There's one that's so convicting in the book of Ezekiel, but it, it said that, Part of the reason why God judged them is because they became like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and he says right here, Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty, and they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you've seen. And then Jesus, you know, kind of riffing off all of these verses in the, in the Old Testament, he rebukes the Pharisees and he says in Matthew 23, he says, you know, you've tithed of all your little herbs and spices. You tithe on everything. He's, he's kind of mocking how fastidious they are in their religion. But then he says, then, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you should have done without leaving the other ones left out. And so I think, um, just the idea of caring for the poor, caring for the press, caring for the downtrodden is not a small issue in the Bible. It is a massive, massive, massive issue, and it should be a, a central part of who we are as believers. Jesse Lusco, pastor, Calvary Church, Westside, in studio with us this afternoon. Stay with us on ABQ Connect. More coming up. We'll be right back. And uh, let's get back to ABQ Connect now. Jesse Lusco, pastor of Calvary Westside, in studio with me, and we are talking about racism and the tragedy uh, of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have mentioned the police a couple of times, but Jesse, this is not a program, and our hearts are not to pick on the police. Police have a tough job. Yeah. We are really, really thankful for our yes. police department. Yes. Uh, Mike Geyer, the chief of police in Albuquerque, has been on our show. He's an amazing man. He yeah. is. And, and he's got a gentle heart, and he wants people to have compassion. He doesn't want racism to be a thing. Uh, again, I keep bringing up Bishop Cooper, but Bishop Cooper knows Mike Geyer. They've talked. He knows his heart. But still there's this, everybody objects to it, but it still keeps happening, Jesse. Yeah. 
How do, how do we keep this at the forefront of people's minds? Mm. Well, I think it is, you know, something that I've done, I, I can just speak to my own life is I have sought out to learn from people who are different from me, you know, and, and, um, and we live in this digital age. It's so easy, but I, I would really encourage some people you know, to, to just have the humility to listen to others on an ongoing basis. You know, I, I, I just made up my mind uh, several years ago to, to follow some really amazing godly pastors um, on Twitter and, and Instagram and, and listen to their sermons. I already mentioned uh, Pastor Charlie Dates. So you can find him, you know, uh, Pastor Tony Evans mm. is spectacular. Pastor Tony Evans has a great quote and uh, I love it so much. I'll just mention it real fast, but he says, Jesus didn't come to take a side. He came to take over. <laughs> and his point is, is that we can't let the partisan kingdoms of men determine our priorities. We need to let the word of God determine our priorities, the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come to take a side. He came to take over. So, you know, follow Tony Evans, follow, um, Eric Mason is, is a great pastor. You could follow, uh, Jackie Perry Hill. She's brilliant, wonderful woman. She actually wrote a book, uh, uh, Gay Girl, Good God. And she was in a lesbian lifestyle. She's a black girl, but she got saved, completely transformed. And she doesn't believe this is going to be the case for all gay people, but she is actually married now uh, to a man and ha- has some beautiful kids and stuff. But she's an amazing uh, black um, Christian leader. You can follow John Perkins. His book is incredible. All right. His book uh, is endorsed by by so many le- legit, trustworthy, um, you know, Bible believing evangelical leaders like uh, um, uh Tony Evans and Rick Warren and John Foreman, but John Perkins, um, man, if you can read his book, one blood, it'll, it'll make your jaw drop. Just reading the first chapter. He says this, he says, I was born into a sharecropper's family. I have a fifth grade education. My brother served our country in world war two and then was shot dead by a racist deputy in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. He, He says, I have a fifth grade education, but I've spoken at universities around the world. He says, I've been beaten and spit upon by cops, but I've devoted my life to creating reconciliation between black communities and police officers. So that's John Perkins, um, Tony Clark, where I'm going to speak out here. So I, I think that's one way. And then if you know, you know, black people or Native American people or, or, uh, Hispanic people, just be willing to go out to lunch with them and listen to them. Just, just listen to them. Just be like, man, What's your experience been like? And if you start building those friendships, that's what John Perkins says is really the answer is just love and friendship and living out the Revelation five vision, which is, you know, Revelation five, such a, such a famous passage, but it, but it just says, um, you are worthy to receive glory and honor because you know, you're worthy to uh, take the scroll and open its seals because you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue and nation. And that's that's God's ultimate vision is 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 a church. And uh, Martin Martin Lloyd Jones says revival is days of heaven on earth. If we want to see revival, we need to make our churches look like heaven. Amen. And in heaven, it's not going to be a black church and a white church. It's it's going to be a united church. It's not going to be a Hispanic church or this. It's going to be a united church. And so if we want to see revival, 
uh, we should make our churches look like Revelation 5. You've given, us, you've given us all kinds of great resources. I mean, I just started uh, reading Miles McPherson uh, yeah. and his book called The Third Option. He just came out with that, and I, I learned about that a couple of days ago. Uh, Miles is the pastor of the Rock Church in San Diego, California, uh, former athlete in the NFL, San Diego Chargers, which I can't give any credit for that because yeah. I never liked the Chargers. Yeah. Uh, by the way, they should move back to San Diego. Not that that's relevant to our conversation, but that's what they need to do because they're falling on their face in Los Angeles. Um, but Jesse, I, I, you've mentioned these great resources. How do you actually get people, let's just say white people, to pay attention? Because they don't deal with these things every day in their own lives. It's only when... You know, it's interesting. Our, uh, one of our producers, uh, Tim Fuller, who's producing our program right now, he lives downtown mm. and has video of the march, very peaceful, happening during daylight. But then as soon as 9 o'clock or 8.30 runs around and it starts getting dark outside, there's a different contingent. Yeah. Which the daytime demonstrators are really distancing. Them. Yes, They said so those, true. those people that are committing crimes have nothing to do with us. Yep. Uh, you know, Bishop, I'll just I'll just come out on record. I, I participated in the march Sunday night yeah. during the day. My wife and I did the leaders. And, and I'm not saying I agree with every single thing. Every single sign said, of course not. You know what I mean? There, It was such a huge group of people. Sure. I can't agree with every sign that was held up even during the daylight hours. Um, but I will say this. The leaders of the daytime march were literally shouting peaceful protest, peaceful protest, peaceful protest. And when a group was going ahead of the truck that was organizing it, they said, no, don't go with those people. They're trying to start start stuff with the police and, and they're they're trying to cause trouble. And everybody in the crowd was literally chanting peaceful protest. But um, and I think that is so important. You know, I I know I've quoted Dr. King at length and, and I think it's important to, like, quote him. In, in larger sections, because it's easy to just rip off one little thing, like, you know, uh, we gotta love each other. And, and, but, but when you quote him at length, he was such a brilliant theologian and thinker. And, uh, he just says this, um, he says that, uh, that America must see that riots don't develop out of thin air. Certain conditions exist in society, which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemned riots. Riots are the language of the unheard. But then he says, but let me say, as I've always said, I will always continue to say that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than what they solve. And, and he just goes on and he continues and he says, but at the same time, I must condemn the conditions of society that are creating these riots. And, and he was so influenced by Jesus. Jesus was writing to oppress people. The, the Romans crucified 20,000 Judeans, mm-hmm. right? He's writing to people who are experiencing horrific oppression under the, under a, a technologically advanced, economically advanced military power of the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, love your enemies. And, and Dr. King was so influenced by that. And he just says, you know, hate begets hate. Violence begets violence. Um, toughness begets greater toughness. We must meet the forces of hate with the power of love. Our aim must be never to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship 
and understanding. And, and so, uh, I just wanted to agree with you that, that, that the night group creating the anarchy and hatred should not dismiss the legitimate points that, that the peaceful protesters are trying to make. Jesse, I'm going to go a little bit farther and say around this country, I believe that people that are looting and doing that kind of thing are actually destructive yes, toward to the, the cause. I agree. Because what happens is those, yeah. those crazy images yeah. get, that's what the media loves. Yeah. They love what the media fires loves. and yep. explosions. If it and bleeds, breaking it bleeds. Glass. Yeah. Exactly. And so what happens is our country starts seeing this type of activity and it reflects badly on the people that are just trying to bring attention to the fact that we have racism in our country. Yeah. And we're going to talk more here in our last segment about, uh, I'm going to call it uh, selective morality. Yeah. Okay. When we come back, Jesse Lusko with us in studio. Stay with us on ABQ Connect. Pastor of Calvary Church Westside, Jesse Lusko in studio with us, and we're talking about uh, racism. We're talking about oppression in our society. We're talking about the biblical viewpoint. want to remind everybody today that it, today is Election Day in the primary. Of course, we've got the, the uh, general election coming up in November, but the Democrats are voting for the Democrats, and the Republicans are voting for the Republicans. Jesse, after this election... Somehow we have to figure out a way to get both sides of the aisle to start cooperating. We're never going to agree on everything, but especially on this issue, it shouldn't be partisan. I agree. I completely agree. And yeah, I, I just think that, um, it's so easy for us to be selective in our, in our righteousness. You know, I, I said it briefly. On the air when I was quoting uh, Pastor Tony Evans, a really, really spectacular black pastor out of Texas. Um, but he just said that Jesus didn't come to take a side. He came to take over. And it's so easy for people. And I'm, and I'm honestly at people doing it. And, and, and it's very important. We're saved by grace. It's very important that I don't become self-righteous or, uh, you know, start feeling superior to these other people who aren't as woke as me or, or whatever. That, that's that's counterproductive. That's not the way of Jesus. But I've had people writing in like, oh, it's just one black guy in Minneapolis. What about abortion? You know, and 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 I think it is so important that we don't become selective in our righteousness because of our political affiliation, but we allow the word of God to determine our views on every issue that the word of God, if you, I love Job 31 because, and Job's actually one of the oldest books of the Bible. And people say, Oh, the old Testament God, he, he, he was an oppressive God. He was a genocidal maniac. Yeah. Right. Read Job 31. Job's the most righteous man on earth. And Job actually says, if I did not respect the rights of my male or female servants, God would hold it against me. It would be a charge from the most high. And he says, the same God who made me in the womb made them in the womb. Mm -hmm. And then he said, if I saw the poor and I didn't feed them, if, if I saw anyone perishing for lack of clothing and, and, and they didn't bless me because I gave them a fleece for my flock, dude, it's like he would not fit in any major political party job here. <laughs> Amen. Be because, because on the one hand, he's talking about, he's talking about how, how his servants are equal to him. Because they have rights, this is Job 31. He's saying that they were made in the womb and that they mattered when they were in the womb. God cared about them in the womb. Uh-oh, now he sounds like a Republican. Then he's saying, 
It would be his fault if the poor perish for lack of clothing. Whoa, whoa, now you sound very liberal. Now you sound like you're all concerned about, you know, giving out handouts and, and, and welfare. And, and I would just say that we have to take those lenses off and do our part as Christians. And, you know, Timothy Keller, he, he's, he's influenced me a great deal on this topic. And, um, he just says we should be willing to work with people on issues where we can agree with them, you know, that, that we shouldn't be so afraid of like, Oh my gosh, if we lose, if we admit the other side has anything right to say, then we're going to lose and we're not going to be in power. Man, you're worshiping power in that case. If you're so afraid with admitting that your opponent has any legitimate insights, I would say you're demeaning them as a person made in the image of God, because um, even if someone's not saved, they're still made in God's image. And the book of Romans chapter two says that sometimes the Gentiles who don't know God act more righteously than the Jews. <laughs> sometimes irreligious people act more righteously than religious people. That's what Romans chapter two says. And so I, I think, um, you know, even if the person is secular, even if the person doesn't believe in, in this particular topic, you should work together with those people on the issues that are biblical um, and that's the only way to make progress and to get away from these endless stalemates that we see. So. I would even go as far as to say that uh, the way that the political parties deal with one another yeah. is racist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think certainly it's prejudiced. Yes. You know, prejudice where, where, where you just vilify and demonize. You know what we do? As human beings, and I'm not just going to say in this country, it's a problem. It's a, it's a problem as old as Adam. It's a problem as old as Eve. But but what we do is we disagree, then we distance, then we demonize. You know, and 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 that's what we do. We, we disagree with someone, then we distance ourselves from them, and once you distance from them, then you demonize them. But but I think what we need to do instead is 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 we need to to um empathize we need to embrace and we need to engage so instead of disagreeing distancing and demonizing we need to empathize that means listen just listen hear, hear the person out they, they actually may have some points that you agree with they may have some insights that actually make a lot of sense then you need to embrace them and then you can engage them on on the topics that that you feel they need to change on but I think that's that's the way to actually uh, get a hearing. If you just come out of the gate and just say everything you think is wrong, everything you think is this, you are being prejudiced. Mm. You, you know, you are being prejudiced, and and uh, and you're never going to see any progress. And you know, I hear people on both sides like calling for like violent revolution because that's the only way to get anything done. If 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 you never listen to each other, it's like yeah, just off with their heads. Let's pull out the guillotines and clearly. I think history tells us we don't want to do that. I was speaking yesterday with a friend of mine named Phil Abney that I played yeah. basketball with at the University yeah. of New Mexico in, uh, from 76 to about 1978. Phil and I were teammates, and he lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. And we were talking about the old days, and he asked me, I told him we were going to be doing this program, and he said, Jim, how did you feel as a white guy coming from El Dorado High School to the University of New Mexico? And I said, well... The truth was is that I was terrified. I hadn't really been around black athletes from anywhere else in the country. We had 
several friends that were black, that were athletes at El Dorado High School, men and women. They were very successful. I never had a perception that they were different than me. They didn't have a different culture, really. Now, they were probably experiencing racism, mm-hmm. and, and I'm and I'm unaware of that. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know about that. But they weren't experiencing that, I don't think, on our campus because we loved them, and they did everything with us, and we were all together. Yeah. But when I went to the University of New Mexico, Jesse, I, I was terrified. I mean, I had guys from New York and California and Indiana, and they all had different experiences. But what was funny is we went to war together. I mean, we had really, really difficult practices physically. Mm-hmm. And we were all treated the same. Yeah. And then we had these games that, frankly, were a lot easier than the practices because that was the intent of yeah. the coaches. Yeah. The coaches put us through the ringer. And when we went to war together in the actual games, man, those were those were easy. Mm-hmm. And then we had victory together. Mm-hmm. So I ended up developing a brotherhood with my black and Hispanic teammates that I hadn't really had that before. And there came a point where I was no longer afraid. Hmm. And I think that changed my behavior. Yeah. That's huge. So how do people take what we're talking about today and actually engage with a person of color if they're white Hmm. without being afraid? How do we, how do we do that on a regular basis? So you gain an experience. Yeah. I think I think I, I know what you mean, just in the sense that you know it's such a sensitive topic that it can sometimes be difficult to to approach with people. But like I don't know what I found is Pastor Eric Lamb on staff is amazing, and and it just just going out to lunch, just invite somebody out to lunch and, and get to know them, just treat them treat them exactly the way you treat anybody else. But then you know as you develop some rapport and 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 some friendship with people, you know my friend. Ben Peterson, uh, he just shared some of his experience. I mean, he lives in Portland, you know, which is the most progressive city you could possibly imagine. But he, he told me even there, he said, he said people on the golf course come up to him and say, are you the caddy? Mm, just cause he's wow. black and, 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 and just taking time to listen to, to people's stories. You know, Pastor Eric Lamb on staff, he just, he said that he's been called the N word more times than he can count. He used to live in a, in a city, uh, the, the nickname I think was like Kylie, which means kill every living and I, you know, and I work like, like, and, and, and so just, if, I think if you take time and just ask questions, say, Hey, tell me what your experience is like. Tell me what this is, what this has been like. Let me learn from you. Let me listen to you. I, I, I think I've said it over and over again. It's how I started the hour, but I just take time to listen. Just stop, look and listen, you know, and, and, uh, and I think when you see, any kind of racist behavior. I think the Bible is clearly anti-racist. Not only is the Bible not racist, it is anti-racist. You know, Paul rebukes Peter to his face in Galatians because he was discriminating against the Gentiles. And Paul tells him, you are not living in line with the gospel. That's the way it puts it in the New Living Translation. Or no, sorry, in the NIV, a New International Version. Is he wasn't living in line with the gospel, and and so the Bible's anti-racist. We should be anti or anti-racism, and um, and we should look for ways to to help people, you know, see the truth of Scripture, see the image of God in every human being. I've heard the saying, "We don't know what we don't know." Yeah. So we need to take the time to yeah. find out what's going on with yeah. people that don't have our experience. Yeah. 
And, you know, and on the topic of the image of God in every human, I also just want to say at the same time, you know, Paul said, I become all things to all men. And so maybe some people will get mad at me for saying this, but, but I just want to say that, um, that police officers are made in the image of God too. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, part of what's in Job 31 and what's in makes our country so amazing is that, is that we believe even, even people who do wrong still have human rights. Mm. They have civil rights. That's the whole point of due process. That's the whole point of, 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 uh, and, and our basis for how we treat one another should not be how they treat us. Our basis for how we treat one another should be the way Christ treats us, but the way Christ laid down his life for us. And so Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. And, and, and so I just say that, um, obviously there's many very, very, very good police officers like Mike Geyer. I know personally who prays every day, the prayer of St. Francis, that he could be an instrument of peace, that he could, uh, seek to understand instead of seeking to be understood. But I would just say, even if there are bad cops, Jesus calls us to love our enemies and, and that, um, uh, being anti-racism doesn't mean you're anti-cop. And, and, uh, I hope that the police don't feel that and that they could get on board with the movement of, of, uh, remedying the long history of racism that's in this country. I mean, it's, it's, if you study American history, what we what we've done, it, it's 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 horrific, and it's still continuing to be done. Well, I know we've had Mike Geyer, Chief Geyer, on on the uh, yeah. program here, yeah. And one of the reasons he was brought in uh, by Mayor Keller is to actually change the culture, yes. Because there had been various incidents with the Albuquerque Police Department, and again, we say this all in 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 light of. We really appreciate what the police do. Absolutely. We appreciate what the sheriff's department do. All of our first responders on, on every level. And, and in many ways, tragic events like COVID-19 bring our community together. I think that racism has been expressed though with the Native American community yes. because up in McKinley County, we've had so many incidents of it yes. that a lot of Native Americans have been discriminated against. And racist remarks have been it's made be, because people are scared of giving COVID uh, from the Navajo reservation. It's evil. You know, it's it's evil. And, you know, the way the people who are suffering from COVID in the greatest numbers are the people who've been oppressed historically in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, like like that that's part of why I think this has reached a fever pitch is because um Black people have have had worse health outcomes, not because they're more susceptible to the virus, but because they don't get enough health care. They don't get enough nutrition. And they, they and, and the same thing is happening with Native Americans. And, you know, um, I mean, Pastor Neil, even in our pastor's meeting, was just pointing out, like, the atrocities that were committed, you know, by uh, the pilgrims. And, and, and as time went on, as we went west, it. it it, it, we need to be people of love and people of justice, and we need to care for the needy because Jesus said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Pastor Jesse Lusco, Calvary Church Westside, thank you, my friend, for joining us today. Yeah.